isn't anything in the world I would have rather have done in that moment than go to war with Mick Foley. I knew that this was going to be one of the biggest matches of his career. I guess what I didn't realize at the time was he might have had a maybe an ulterior motive. Uh, maybe. Literally, I thought to myself, I could lose an eye. But think of the pop. Hard to put into words how much those two matches meant on solidifying Triple H as a main event player. Hey guys, welcome back. It's time for another episode of The Perfect Ten here on the New Blood Rising podcast. Now, first and foremost, I want to thank everyone for all of the positive responses that we've been getting for these little mini episodes uh, with Will, myself, Jason, and, and some special guest stars who have picked their own perfect tens. This is actually kind of becoming something uh, different from what it was originally thought of, which is really cool. It's really cool to have other people's takes on these other matches because while some of the matches are incredibly obvious, uh, there are others that aren't. And I think what makes these perfect tens so special uh, for us to talk about is it's it's not even necessarily that maybe the match isn't a ten in and of itself as, as to what typical uh, matches of that caliber should be, but it's how we remember them, it's how we felt when we watched them, and it's all about the impact that it left on us through time, and when we think about certain wrestlers and the matches that come back to us. And this is a great example of that for me. Today, I'm going to be covering the WWF Championship match from 2000 Royal Rumble with Triple H defending the title against Cactus Jack in a street fight. And this one is really cool for me. Uh, I get to talk about Mick Foley here for the first time and I get to talk about Triple H. And I'm really excited to do both. Um, a lot of people have a lot of their mixed feelings on Triple H. I, I know I do. Uh, but hopefully by the end of the episode I get across at least my perspective on why I don't believe the things that Bret Hart necessarily says about him and hopefully do justice to his performance in this match and what would eventually become a fantastic career as a headliner and of course Mick Foley I mean it goes without saying he was uh, he was like all of our heroes when we were kids. I remember jumping off of anything high specifically because of him. And I'm going to get into that too because, of course, as you get older, you be, I think you tend to get a different kind of perspective on that style of wrestling and that kind of thing that can lead to basically a child like myself doing stupid crap like that. But we'll get to it. Anyway. So let's let's start this thing off. Um, before we get into the match, I want to kind of go into both of the wrestlers individually and as a collective, because a lot of people like to say, like, like who's Mick Foley's greatest opponent? Some people say The Rock. Some people say Undertaker, and both are perfectly reasonable. And Triple H is right up there. They had several matches. And they really built off of each other and helped each other quite a bit and had a fantastic chemistry. We'd had a history of really working well together, creating some amazing things going back to 1997. Here he comes. Where is he? Cactus Jack! This match! Some 
Foley had these unique characters, and I'd worked with most of them, and it's funny, it helped pull a lot of them out. So, uh, let's start with Mick Foley first. So, <clears throat> right off the bat, <clears throat> Mick Foley, if you were my age at the time that this pay-per-view came out, the only reason you were ordering it <laughs> was to see what crazy-ass stunt Mick Foley was going to pull off. That's kind of the pigeonhole that he found himself in, I feel, at the beginning of 2000, and really it was, it was after King of the Ring 98. So King of the Ring 98, everyone knows it. It's probably going to be an episode on here at some point. Uh, the only reason I haven't done it is because it is so painfully obvious that that's a 10. Because uh, that match is known by people who don't even watch wrestling. And the reason for that is because of the crazy shit that Mick Foley did in that match. That either should have ended his career or killed him. Luckily, it did neither. But it definitely left its mark on him. I had written some pretty large checks. And uh, my body was cashing them in <laughs> all at the same time. I was having trouble getting around. I didn't want to be seen doing less than I was capable of. And it just seemed like if I could ride off on a majestic steed into the sunset, that uh, it would be the perfect time to retire. Before King of the Ring 98, Foley was just kind of crazy with a lot of the stuff he would do in the ring and just kind of stuff that would make you cringe, but nothing to the level of what we saw at that pay-per-view. Um, there's his stuff in WCW is Cactus Jack. He, hell, I remember he was the very first wrestler I ever remember seeing on television when I watched WCW. Uh, it was the amnesia storyline. So as long as I've been a wrestling fan, I've been aware of Mick Foley. And then, of course, he comes to WWF and does the Mankind gimmick. Skipping over the ECW parts, I wasn't aware of that at the time. But he does the Mankind gimmick, and I remember this was one of the first times where I would see a guy on television going by a name that I did not know him by. I knew that was Cactus Jack. So this was part of the, I guess, growing up as from a child to an adult while still being a wrestling fan, where it's like, why is he going by a different name? And the other one I can think of that did this was Goldust. Uh, you know, everyone knew that was Dustin Rhodes. But Foley did crazy stuff in his career. And then once King of the Ring 98 happened, it was like all bets are off. This didn't kill him. What's he going to do now? And the thing that's interesting is that in the previous year, Royal Rumble 99, which I think is truly uh, probably the most disgusting match that, um, in terms of violence that WWF ever did, with Mankind, Mick Foley, taking on The Rock. And it's a match that I honestly, I don't think I've gone back to watch in 15, 10, 15 years. It was hard to watch as a kid, and even worse uh, as I got older. And then, of course, um, when Beyond the Mat came out, that really put everything into perspective, especially with the camera on uh, his wife and kids. So here we are a year later, and, and now he's Cactus Jack again, and who knows what the hell's going to happen. It's in Madison Square Garden, 
which had a couple of McFoley matches that were really well done. Um, I think this was the same building that Foley had the, I want to say he had the Boiler Room Brawl match here, which really was pre-recorded. And then when they got ringside, that's when all the Madison Square Garden stuff happened. But he, he had had memorable things happen here before. And his time with Triple H, they've crossed paths uh, several times before. So, so let's get to Triple H real quick. So Triple H, of course, started off in WCW. I didn't see him then. When he came to WWF, he was the Blue Blood. He was a great character, really annoying. Everyone hated him. But, you know, I don't think anyone really thought that he would really become something. Certainly I didn't. Uh, so we get to this point where he starts feuding with McFoley after he wins the 1997 King of the Ring. They have an awesome cage match uh, at SummerSlam 97. That's the, and it's, I, I believe it was the first match on the card. Uh, Mankind jumped off the top of the cage and did an elbow drop uh, kind of as a salute to Jimmy Snuka. And, of course, uh, that really goes in well with the Royal Rumble match because it's at Madison Square Garden, and I believe the first time Foley ever saw a wrestling event was at Madison Square Garden, and it was the night Jimmy Snuka jumped off the cage. So that was really cool back in 97. And then, of course, it was one of those Raws that I'll never forget, and I and it too was at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Triple H, this is back in 97. He's still in the mid-card. He's going to fight Mankind, and then... Foley gets up on the Titantron in this in one of the most brilliant pre-recorded segments. Like this is the kind of stuff you would see in movies, where something like Back to the Future Part Two—that's one that's coming to mind right now—where you would see double, where you would see multiple versions of the same person on the same screen, and Mankind comes on, and then Dude Love comes on, and Dude Love, which not to get sidetracked here, but Dude Love I always thought needed more time. I love the character of Dude Love. So, and they're so completely different. And this was so exciting as a kid because Cactus Jack comes up through the middle with a trash can. And this was the first time Cactus Jack had ever been in the WWF. And him and Triple H go on to have a really good match on that Raw. And it ends with a pile driver through a table on the stage. And the crowd's just going ballistic. This is so cool. And that's kind of what we get here. It's, it's almost a, a retelling of that story for this story. Uh, we're in the middle of the... Not the middle, but we're, in, but we're right in the beginning of the, of the McMahon-Helmsley era. The Reign of Terror, as it's known. And Foley gets fired in the storyline. This is all in the video package, by the way. Which, by the way, it's an awesome video package. And Foley gets fired. Rock stages a coup. They reinstate Foley. And in typical WWF fashion, you get fired, and not only do you get rehired, but you get a title match at the next pay-per-view. So Foley decides to bring back Cactus Jack for this match, which make, which sends Triple H right over the edge. And it's fantastic. It's, it's, it's a lot like the 97 stuff, and that kind of sets the stage for what we have here. Now, to finish off with Triple H uh, before I get into the match... So the thing that's interesting with Triple H is that Foley had already won the title twice. Foley beat The Rock in 99 at 
uh, on that Raw, the Finger Poke of Doom night. And uh, then he won again at SummerSlam. So Foley wins at SummerSlam 99 in a triple threat match for his second WWF title against Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin. I remember ordering this pay-per-view because I wanted to see that match, but I also really wanted to see Jesse Ventura, see what he was going to do then. And that was causing quite a media uproar at the time. And I remember thinking Triple H was probably going to win this match, you know, and I wasn't ready to see Austin lose that belt yet. And Triple H didn't win. Fully won. And I remember it was just kind of deflating. And, and then Triple H wins the title the following night on Raw. And then he wins again at the six-pack challenge in September. So we get this, just this weird kind of trading off of the titles. Uh... The story online is that Austin didn't want to drop the belt to Triple H, and th this is really what I want to get into here. Um, going into this match as a kid, I did not think, or I, 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 you know, I wasn't thinking like a smart or anything like that, but it was kind of hard to wrap my head around the fact that the guy who was Shawn Michaels' number two was main eventing a pay-per-view of, of, of the scale of the Royal Rumble, and he was the WWF champion. And it was, it was just kind of hard to wrap my head around because Triple H had been main eventing since he won that title, which was about four or five months earlier. And I always thought of Triple H as, as a great wrestler, upper mid-card, like the Rock match that he had at SummerSlam 98, that kind of thing. Also at MSG. So I went into this match thinking Cactus, or hoping Cactus would win, but I didn't think he'd win. But the point is, I didn't quite buy Triple H as a WWF champion. At least, not yet. It was also around this time, about a month or two prior, that Triple H did that interview <clears throat> with Jim Ross. This is about me. I don't need to be in a clique anymore. I don't need to be in DX anymore. This is about me. It's about me reaching my goals. The game stemmed from an interview where well, the character felt that it was so invested in the business and it was such a connected part of his life that it literally was him, that there was nothing else more to it than he was the entire business. What, you, you want me to shoot with this interview? I'm gonna shoot with it. I'm gonna tell you how I feel, whether you like it or not. I felt that this was me saying that this entire industry should be mine because it was me and because everything about me was invested in being that. Every time I look at you guys, it makes me sick to think what you did to me, holding me back. To hell with The Rock, to hell with Austin, to hell with The Undertaker. I own all their asses. That was a pre-taped interview. So it was shot beforehand with multiple cameras. And when I said the line, it was all done in one piece, but when I said the line... I am the game, JR. It just came out that way. The passion of it, it came out in that manner. And when we got to the end of the take, I remember thinking how oh, we're going to do that again. Because of that, they had a, a camera angle where you didn't necessarily, I believe, see my mouth saying it, and they were okay with beeping it out, and that it made it even more powerful, because it was real in that moment. You guys talk about being students of the game. I am the game, JR. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. What was significant about this interview was that Triple H had mentioned the, the dues that he paid, the curtain call, and specifically the button that he would put at the end of this was where he said that he was the game. 
and this was the first time that we had ever heard him say that. So with all that out of the way, let's get into this match here. <clears throat> so Cactus Jack comes out first, gets a nice reaction. Triple H follows with Will's favorite theme song, I might add. And Stephanie comes out with him, and this is interesting, Triple H sends Stephanie to the back. Now, I don't know if Stephanie's presence at the ring might have helped the match, but I don't think it, I don't think it hurt not having her there. I think she serves her purpose quite well later on in the match. So she goes to the back, and in a blink-and-you'll-miss-it moment, Triple H hands Howard Finkel a bag, and the commentators don't even seem to pick up on it. So that's kind of, uh, that's kind of left up to our imagination if you happen to see it. We also get a prototype here of the classic Triple H pose on the ring apron with the spinning of the water and the championship belt and it's all about the game, you know, you know it. And it's not in its final form. Triple H just kind of looks awkward, especially if you know what the pose is classically supposed to look like. It's very similar to The Rock when he would do the people's elbow in the early days, but he wouldn't switch his arms back and forth. He just They just kind of left that part out. That was always like the coolest part for me. Bell rings, and we get Triple H and Cactus Jack doing basically a standoff, and Jack is just yapping away. Who knows what the hell he's saying to him, and Triple H is just kind of taking it. They start going to blows. First real thing that's notable in the match happens about two or three minutes in. We get um, a chair gets introduced in the ring, and Triple H gets a hold of it. Jack basically dares Triple H to hit him with the chair. And he's tired of waiting, so Jack charges at Triple H. Triple H just levels him in the face with the chair. Luckily, it was protected. Jack was able to get a hand up in time. So, you know, in 2020 vision, that, you're like, oh, good. He, he, at least he protected himself, which is something that fully, it never seemed like he did, especially if you watch Royal Rumble 99. Um... So that's the first thing. JR has a comment once they get to the outside of the ring that's interesting. The you, I'm, I'm going to be talking about the commentary quite a bit in this match because as, as much as I as I absolutely dig this match, the commentary is pretty lackluster. <laughs> it's in certain parts. Doesn't they don't JR and Lawler have a hard time? I feel saying the appropriate thing, and sometimes they just say the flat out wrong thing. So Triple H has been the champion for I don't know four or five months around this point, and. JR makes the quote, Triple H may be the greatest technical champion we've ever had. Now you just know that he was piped in to say this. Uh, it, it got a good laugh out of me. Of, of course, you know, looking back, it totally seems viable. Like, it's not a knock against Triple H. It's, it, I don't, like, from my perspective, I think it's a knock against people like Bret Hart from their perspective. But uh, a comment like this, I think if you were to say this now, I think it would, I think it would carry a lot more weight. I, my whole contention with it is simply that Triple H hadn't been champion nearly long enough, and I hate when these kinds of things happen when they get said. It's like if Brett had been a champion for like a, a week, and they said that he was the greatest champion that we, we've ever had. You know, it's just like, well, that's just an F you to Hogan. Uh, they they fight in the crowd. This is always a drag. I'll be honest to watch uh, from a television. And luckily it doesn't last too long. They're able to make it out to the staging area, which I, I haven't talked about the stage for, for this. I've always loved the old Madison Square Garden WWF pay-per-view stages. They were always very simplistic. I, it was like the one arena 
where the entrance was on the hard cam. They would come right up the middle of your television screen. From WrestleMania 10, SummerSlam, uh, Survivor Series 96, like, like this was always uh, what they did. And it always looked really cool. And the SummerSlam stage might always be my favorite, the one from 1998 with the gates and it looks like there's hell behind the gates. It's really cool. Looks like something out of Doom Eternal. But in this one, it's this is really cool too. I mean, it, it, it this is the exact same stage from the No Mercy game for the N64. So I recreated this match all the time. Uh, it looks like it's specifically designed to complement this match. Uh, you've got like bricks everywhere. You got graffiti written on the on the bricks, and there's this car that's hanging over the very top. And it's a shame that Foley didn't jump off of that, because that could have been cool, but unfortunately, that had been done earlier in the night by Jeff Hardy in an awesome tag match between uh, the Hardys and the Dudleys. But no, we do get uh, a, a nice little brutal moment of uh, Cactus Jack suplexing Triple H on pallets. If I could go back in time, I probably would not suplex Triple H on a pallet that had a jagged shard of wood. I don't think I actually realized that the puncture wound in my leg from the pallet was really bad until uh, later. But I remember looking down and seeing a piece of wood sticking out of my leg and thinking like, oh, geez, that's not good. In my mind, it was like a, a sliver. When I pulled it out, Jesus, that thing went in there really far. I didn't really think about it after that. I do remember towards the end of that match, and not really knowing why, but thinking my one boot feels super heavy, but nothing more than that. It really was later when they pulled the, you know, my boot off uh, when I was backstage, it was pooling with blood and it saturated the, the bottom of my boot and all the leather. Adrenaline is a magical, magical substance. And it's pretty disgusting. It, it looks bad, but you know, as we all know from the uh, from the quad incident, like you can't stop Triple H ever. Like he'll he'll finish the match. So he's definitely hurt already in this match, and it's gonna keep going. Uh, the two by four bat gets introduced by Cactus Jack. And I was a big believer in using things that were available to us. It's always great to have something stashed away underneath the ring. And uh, that night, uh, you know, I believe we, you know, we did. We had, I don't believe we did. We had some goodies. It would be anything that he's the king of. It would be hard. Oh, 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 I very distinctly remember that barbed wire two by four count for the first time the shifting of the crowd to a different level of, oh my God. The only time I'd ever experienced that type of in the moment shift in a crowd was Undertaker and Shawn Michaels in the first Hell in the Cell match. I remember just getting goosebumps in that moment as I was hearing the crowd. And this becomes a nice little side one-on-one -on -one match between Cactus Jack and Earl Hebner, who was our assigned officiator for the evening. Uh, so, <laughs> so Hebner is able to get the bat, and he ditches it, and he 
sadly for the Spanish announce team, he hides it behind the Spanish announce table. Well, Foley gets wind of this pretty quick, Cactus Jack, and he grabs Earl Hebner and demands to know where the bat is. Hebner gives it up immediately. You know, great officiating, by the way. He points to the Spanish announce table. So Jack goes out there, and this has got to be a first uh, in WWF. So Jack starts talking to Hugo Savinovich, the lead play-by-play man on the Spanish announce team. Doesn't like what he what he has to say. It was probably in Spanish, and he doesn't know it anyway. So Jack just decides to level Hugo Savinovich and punches him in the face, which is great, because Hugo Savinovich sells this punch exactly like he sold when Mankind went through the table at King of the Ring 98. He does that weird, like, fall-back, keel-over, like he's having a heart attack. This guy, Hugo Zvinovich, does not get enough credit for how he sells table breaks and stuff like just getting hit in the face. I, I would have, I'd like to hear the Spanish audio version of this match because uh, his, his color commentator just seems to be beside himself. It's great. Uh, this is... Uh, Jack gets the barbed wire bat. We get a nice little Earl Hebner bump that's not too over the top. And then we get a nice two-by-four shot with with, uh, barbed wire right to Triple H's face. And this is what leads to Triple H blading. Uh, They end up brawling out to the outside, and they're they're on the American announce table. And Jack is about to do a pile driver to Hunter. And, you know, as a fan you know he's not going to pull this off because they've removed all of the monitors from the table except the one that matters, which is the one that's right below Triple H's head. So, of course, Triple H is able to do a back body drop. They, they kind of go through the table. It's, it's a nice little spot. Um, next significant spot, uh, Cactus gets hip-tossed into the steps and his leg just careens into the fucking thing. I mean, and it is loud. And it's really interesting because I'm thinking it's got to be, it looks like it's the, you know, behind the knee part of his leg, but it sounds like it's his hip. I mean, the sound that this thing makes is unreal, and as if that wasn't enough, uh, Triple H does an Irish whip to Foley, and he just kind of runs into the steps and does a complete flip over. This was, I always kind of thought that this was uh, Foley's Bret Hart running into the turnbuckle spot. It's the spot that he had to work in in every match, or the Ric Flair getting body slammed off the top rope spot. Everyone has one of these, and and of course Foley's had to be this one. So Triple H makes his way over to Howard Finkel to grab the bag that he had handed him, and as it turns out, it's handcuffs. Now this is an interesting callback to the previous year's Royal Rumble. In the if you haven't seen it, and the reason I'm bashing it so much, so The Rock had handcuffed Mankind's hands behind his back and just leveled him with a chair like 11 times. It was awful. Now, the difference here is that the handcuffs that Triple H pulls out are those long chained handcuffs so that it's so you know, you don't break your hands when you fall on your back. Cuz Cactus Jack isn't done taking back bumps, as we'll see. So they they're not that bad. Now, but the thing that's annoying here to me is is Earl Hebner's officiating. So Earl Hebner has a serious problem with a baseball bat or, or sorry, a two by four wrapped in barbed wire, but he's perfectly okay and doesn't even remotely try to stop Triple H from handcuffing Cactus Jack's hands behind his back. Doesn't try to do anything. It almost looks like Earl Hebner has a dog in the fight with Triple H. So 
This is when Triple H grabs a chair, and of course JR and Jerry Lawler begin to realize that this is very similar to Royal Rumble 99, and I should also point out that this is probably the 10th or 12th time that uh, JR calls Cactus Jack Mankind, and Lawler at some point in the match earlier had pointed out <laughs> that his name was Cactus Jack, but JR just can't keep it straight. And it happens throughout the rest of the match, so you just have to get used to it. And this is definitely the most annoying thing that comes from the commentary. Uh, but anyway, so Triple H has him handcuffed, grabs a steel chair, smacks the ever-loving shit out of Cactus, and it breaks the top part of the chair, but it doesn't completely fall off. And it's a, and it's a horrendous shot. Now, today, if something like that happened, they'd probably put that chair down and go get another one, but Triple H just decides to hit him again. And this little piece of chair goes flying and lands around the sixth or the seventh row. And you can see everyone jump up because it, 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 it almost landed in the crowd, but it ends up landing in the aisleway. And you could even see that little bit of hesitation on, on Triple H, like not on his face because we're looking at his back, but you can just see him pause and freeze up. It's a scary moment. Uh, Triple H follows Cactus Jack to the outside of the ring. He still has that chair, and then out of nowhere, The Rock, The Rock, comes through and levels Triple H in the head with his chair, and gets a nice little pop, and then a police officer comes out who just happens to have the, the right handcuff keys to get Jack out of it, and this is interesting, but at the same time, I can't help but think, Jesus, Rock, you did the exact same crap last year, you know, thinking of it from a storyline perspective. Yeah, but, he, but he gets him out of it. They get the handcuffs off Cactus, so it's like, well, Jesus, where was this cop last year? Okay, maybe Cactus can win this. Jack is able to make a recovery, brings Triple H over to the Spanish announce table, and actually does a pile driver on the table, and the damn thing doesn't break. And it really does look like Triple H's head hits the table. I mean, it looks bad. And then Jack does some pandering in the crowd with some of the fans, one in particular who's directly in front of Jack, who keeps doing the bang-bang with him. This guy's like 70, he's got glasses on. This guy annoyed me from the night of the broadcast. And and I still remember him. He, he's in that like fan hall of fame in my head of the most annoying fans in wrestling. <laughs> and, and he's honestly, he's just having a good time. He's just having fun. But he's a, he's a little hammy with Jack. Uh, so now we start building up towards the finale of the match. Cactus rolls Triple H into the ring, goes under the ring, pulls out a bag. Lawler, in typical stupid commentator fashion, says, oh, he's got a sandbag. And, you know, as a fan, you're just sitting there going, that is not a fucking sandbag. It's like you were at King of the Ring 98. You know, you know what you know what's in there. And, and the crowd knows what's in there. And when... You know, a guy who's been in the wrestling business at that point for 30 years doesn't know what's in there. It makes you just seem really fucking stupid. And I know that this isn't that big of a deal, but this kind of shit always drives me nuts because it takes away from the moment. Even Stephanie knows what's in there because she comes to the ring. The last words Mr. McMahon said to me before I stepped through the curtain were, no thumbtacks. Uh-oh. What is that? What the hell is that? The epic shift of him pouring those thumbtacks out in that arena. You think you can't get them any higher, but wait, there's more. This guy's sadistic. He won't stop for anything. Right hands by Cactus Jack. 
Like they're thumbtacks. It's not like it's gonna kill you. It doesn't feel good, for sure. So the thumbtacks are on the ground, and as a fan, you know Triple H is not landing on these tacks. He's not even wearing a damn shirt. So Jack gets backdropped onto the thumbtacks, and oh, it's bad. It's bad. And Jack gets up and gets a pedigree. This would have been fine. This would have been a perfect finale. Uh, I would have. And this was before people were really kicking out of finishers that much, so this definitely seemed like this was the end. And then Cactus Jack kicked out. Crowd goes ballistic. Like from from me listening, this was the pop of the match, was Jack kicking out. And everyone thought this was it. And then a Foley chant starts. Triple H is shocked. I mean, it's unreal. But almost immediately from the crowd starting the chants, Triple H... He kicks Cactus Jack, and then you realize where Jack is standing. He's right over the thumbtacks, and after the kick, he starts to go for the pedigree, and you're and you're thinking, nah. Kicking out of the pedigree was something that was unheard of at the time. I don't know if I was the first, but I know when I kicked out. I mean, the the roar was deafening, and I mean, there was just this feeling that the only way we could take this up a notch was to do that same move in thumbtacks and uh and i knew we'd catch hell for it i just remember closing my right eye as tightly as i could and literally i thought to myself i could lose an eye but think of the pop pedigree and the tags he lands I'm covering him I could see them sticking out of his face if I remember correctly he had one in his eyebrow who would do that and he did it and it was horrifying and I always remember when he first rolled Jack over you know because I didn't want to see his face but he rolls him over and, and by some miraculous occurrence Jack only has like two or three thumbtacks right above his eyebrow and you know, oh, thank God. I mean, it could have gone through his eye, anything like that. And this, as, as unsafe and holy shit as this is, uh, this is actually a fantastic finish. Because it shows that Jack kicking out of the pedigree. It's awesome. It's like, oh, this is one tough son of a bitch. And then the pedigree and the tax, it's it's great. Um, this is really something. Uh, it, although JR does say this is the damnedest WWF title match uh, we've ever witnessed to which I'm like literally a year ago was way worse uh, Montreal was interesting hell there was a time where Ted DiBiase paid a guy to have plastic surgery to look like Earl Hebner that was pretty damnedest if you ask me but you know whatever um, I don't really want to talk about Jack and like, Jack gets revenge on Triple H after the bell rings and kind of beats him up for a little bit it's it's really useless i kind of wish they hadn't done it because it makes jack look like a poor loser but so that's the match um the way i felt after this had ended was that triple h had arrived to me this is his brett austin wrestlemania 13 moment uh this is triple h's coming out his i'm here i'm not leaving I am the guy that's going to carry this company for the foreseeable future because he's, you know, 
he's doing it in a different way now, but he's still doing it. Uh, this was an awesome way to start 2000, I thought, because we lost Austin uh, the previous November, and it was like, well, how, what's the WWF look like without Austin? And a lot of people like to point to 2000 as one of WWF's best years. It was certainly one of the most lucrative. And I've always thought this pay-per-view is probably the best example of of what WWF in the 2000s was like. Like this was, so, or WWF in 2000 was like this pay-per-view is so good, and this match is just absolutely stellar. Cactus Jack, I just want to point out with Mick Foley. Mick Foley, uh, he did this with so many guys with this sort of thing. Mick Foley is one of those guys who can lose a match and still keep credibility. Uh, he had a, a similar match on a lower scale with Singh in at Beach Blast 92 that we talked about. He did the same thing for Sting. Uh, Foley had had a match with Shawn Michaels at Mind Games. Uh, I, these matches are all very similar to me because Foley loses all of them and yet he completely elevates his opponent and and even more so than that he makes you look at him differently because Shawn Michaels went to a place that we'd never seen him go to before in the Mind Games match and Triple H I, I feel the same way the pedigree into the tax that's the spot that's like Jesus this guy will do anything to win like it was it was that good and fully deserves all the credit for it. Now, in the aftermath of this, um, because at this point I'm all on board on Triple H being the guy, uh, they have a rematch at No Way Out the following month. In the retirement match, Foley loses it. They, 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 they try to top the Hell in a Cell 98 spot with a Hell in a Cell spot back body drop. It wasn't as good, and it wasn't as good of a match, even though it was fine for what it was. It wasn't nearly as good as this. Um... And so it seemed obvious to me that the main event of WrestleMania that year was going to be The Rock versus Triple H, which I wasn't overly thrilled about, and that's nothing to do with those two guys, and more to do with the fact that I've seen that match so many times on the undercard. I mean, it had been done quite a bit. Um, SummerSlam 98, of course. Believe there's a strap match at fully loaded 99. I think that's one. They definitely fought it over the edge 99, but no one rightfully will ever talks about that match. But that's another one. And but I was willing to go with it because I'm like, well, I want to see The Rock fight Triple H for the title. Like this is going to be awesome. And then it kind of seemed like WWF didn't have the faith in Triple H to carry the pay-per-view, to carry the main event, which is why that. One of the reasons why I think that main event is so bloated, because they add it is Rock and Triple H. Rock wins the Rumble. He should be he's fighting Triple H. But they add Big Show, and then they bring Mick Foley out of retirement, even though Foley said he would never come out of retirement, and he came out within a month. So it hurt his credibility to me incredibly. And then the real focus of the match is the fact that there's a McMahon in every corner. Like they overstuffed that main event so much to what basically just amounted to a bunch of bullshit. And then Triple H and The Rock ended up being the final two guys in the match anyway, because it was a it was an elimination match. So why didn't they just do that to begin with? Uh, so I I've often wondered if WWF didn't think Triple H could carry it, because I thought the same thing. But Royal Rumble 2000 completely changed my mind. I like put him it put him right over, and I wish they had done that because as many times as those two fought, they never fought at a Mania, Rock and Hunter, and 
honestly, I wish that that had been one of the matches that they did at Mania a few years ago. Like that would have been a great way for both of them to go out because those are two great opponents. But anyway, uh, that's how I feel about it. Uh, Triple H, I don't care what you say about him. Like me and Will like to joke that he's he tries he thinks he's the NWA World Champion <laughs> because all of his matches are super long. Like his Hell in a Cell match with, with Shawn Michaels is the longest one of any. I believe it's 46 minutes between the two of them. It's so freaking long. His his match with Roman Reigns at WrestleMania uh, a few years ago was ungodly long to the point of just pure boredom. But when Triple H is having a great match, he's having a match that no one else can have. Uh, he is one of the greatest, and so is Mick Foley. And, you know, we should be really thankful that these two guys met so many times and were able to elevate each other almost in every one of their matches. That's what's so cool about their feud, because that's what happened every single time. Because if Royal Rumble 2000 solidified it, then No Way Out proved that it wasn't a fluke. And that's how I feel about it. So that's going to wrap it up for me here. Uh, Cactus Jack, Triple H, it's a perfect 10. It is a phenomenal match. It's fantastic. And I'll, I'll be watching this match for a long time and I hope if you've never seen it that you do check it out because it's really cool anyway uh, so th like I said that'll do it for me and I'll be coming back soon with another perfect 10 hopefully within the next uh, couple of weeks gotta figure out which one I want to do I like talking about wrestlers that I haven't talked about yet um, and there, I got a few on my mind and most importantly uh, we have a season 5 proper episode on the way probably within the next week and we're all really excited to do it. And that's it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And tune in for the upcoming episodes. You can follow me at CM underscore Stabs. If you want to reach out, talk to me about the match. I'd be more than happy to do it. I love responding to you guys. So follow us also at New Blood Pod. And we will see you for the next episode of the show. And once again, thanks for listening. Kick out! Kick out! Cactus! Goodbye, my friend. That's the goodbye. Goodbye, Cactus. Thanks for the great memories, buddy. You're going to be missed, Cactus. Godspeed, McFoley.